best piece of advice to a young chef who might have dyslexia um to not be embarrassed about it to be honest about it and don't let it hinder you you know there's certain ways that you know you can just get away you know every everyone has something that they're not stronger you know you get you get away with it you can you, you can be better at other stuff hello everyone and welcome to breaking bread this is the Birmingham-based food podcast presented by Food Obsessed Mates, Liam and Carl. I'm Liam and a very warm welcome to this episode of Breaking Bread. Glad to have you with us. To start, how I do every kind of intro, a massive thank you to everyone who listened to our last episode with Burning Bar and Rum. We had an absolutely incredible chat. And if you haven't heard that yet, go back and listen really enjoy that especially if you like rum you'll enjoy it maybe if you're thinking of starting your own kind of business you'll enjoy it as well there's plenty of help and advice in their little story so go back and have a listen to that and if you are liking our podcast if you could go over to what apple Podcasts, um, i think apple Podcasts is the only one that does let you review i'm not sure i always say wherever you listen to your podcast but i think it's just apple either way so if you listen on apple Please go onto your Apple Podcasts app and rate us five stars and leave us a really nice review. That would be amazing and would really help us get the word out there about how brilliant the Birmingham food and drink scene is. If you haven't been to our Instagram yet, make sure you go and have a little look at that. It's Breaking Bread Podcast UK. If you just search for that, you'll find our Instagram. We just have a lot of nice pictures of food and stuff like that. But we want to see your pictures of food too, so if you tag us at Breaking Bread Podcast UK, uh, maybe use the hashtag that we've been using is Brumdime with us. Use that hashtag or tag us in it, and we'll choose a couple each day. Maybe give them a little repost. Want to see your pictures of what you've been eating for dinner, or some good brunch you've been eating out, or any any pictures of food? Just tag them, tag us in, and let us have a look at them. So on to today's podcast. This is a really exciting episode for us. I think I say that every week, but this one is mega exciting. He's recently back in Birmingham. He was formerly head chef of the Michelin style restaurant Man Behind the Curtain in Leeds. Massively successful restaurant, one of the best in the country. Obviously, that's Michael O'Hare's restaurant. It's very unique, probably one of the most unique restaurants in, in the UK. We have a good little chat about what that was like and what it's like working with Michael. Before he went to Leeds, he was actually trained at our very own Pinnells in Birmingham. So we get to hear what that was like. I mean, he didn't have any like, chef training or he didn't go to university or college of Birmingham or food college or anything like that. He just started straight in at the deep end at Pinnells. So you get to hear it from a different perspective as well and also as he talks about it a little bit in the episode he does suffer quite bad with dyslexia which kind of impacted his daily life in the kitchen, well just everywhere really so it's a fascinating tale and most of you will probably know our guest Cray 
from last year, well, this year's 2019's Great British Menu. He got all the way to the final with his dishes, they were absolutely amazing. I think he had the Black Sabbath dish, the, the, the Sharon dish, which was basically like a take and a beef dinner, but just really far out there, and then he had his dessert. Yeah, and he, he was very close to getting going all the way and winning it, but unfortunately it wasn't to be, but he's still done amazing. Um, obviously he's a local Birmingham lad, so always nice to see the boys do well. So yeah, I hope you enjoy his, uh, his little story, it's fascinating. Ladies and gentlemen, great red one. Hello everyone and welcome to Breaking Bread. We are your hosts, Carl and Liam. And today we are joined by former, former head chef. Former head chef. Former head chef from Man Behind the Curtain. Indeed. And contestant on where most people would have seen you on um, Great British Menu, not Great British Bake Off, which I keep saying. (laughs) 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 We'll obviously get on to Man Behind the Curtain and the um, Great British Menu in a little bit. I just want to start, kind of just tell us a bit about, obviously growing up in Birmingham, you're a local boy. Yeah, Sully Hall. I don't know. Some people get a bit funny. Well, I say Sully Hall because you know it sounds a lot posher than where (laughs) where I'm originally from. But you know, some people in Sully get a bit funny. You know, if you call them Brummies, they're like, "No, I'm Sully Hall." No, I'm definitely a (laughs) Brummie. Yeah, Yeah. that's good. I went to school in Birmingham. (laughs) You know, Sully Hall was where I lived for my later teens. But you know, before that, I grew up. I've lived everywhere in Birmingham, really. uh, I lived in Erdington, then Stetchford, then the Glebe, like. My mum couldn't keep a house, so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> everywhere, yeah. So as great as my introduction was, I forgot to say your name, which is obviously Craig Treadwell. No, I don't need my name, mate. <laughs> Everyone knows, don't they? I, I, I did laugh because you, you sent me a text message to say what you were wearing, yeah. like, in case we didn't know what you looked like. I was like, <laughs> mate, you're famous. Yeah. Everyone knows what you look like. I'm not half as famous as I thought I would be. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so you're a local fella. You uh, went to school. When did you go to catering college then? Or I've never been to catering college. No? No, so I left school at 15. I actually missed my last day of school because I got expelled, <laughs> which was shit, so I didn't get to egg no teachers or nothing like that. What did, do you mind me asking what you got? I, I don't, don't, actually, ask. I don't <laughs> actually remember. You know, that's the weirdest thing. What must have been like... I think I took a radiator off the, off the wall and went down the stairs on it. <laughs> I genuinely think that's what it was. Yeah, I was a bit of a naughty boy in school. Yeah. I didn't enjoy school. I didn't enjoy being sat in class. You know, I've got like an attention span of like a one-year-old. If I don't enjoy it, then I just get up and just rather just get up and just like do something else. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. So you didn't go to Caton College. Did you go straight into a job somewhere? Or? So basically, I left school, and you know, I've knew Glyn since I was about 13 years old because uh, my uncle used to be the pastry chef. My uncle, uncle used to be the pastry chef at Pernell's. So, you know, family part, they're really good friends. So, like, family parties, Glyn would always come and stuff like that. And um, I nev- I always wanted to get into cooking, but I was always scared, you know, because of being dyslexic. So, I was always in a way of, like, you know, reading recipes and stuff like that. And the uh, I've, my biggest regret now is 
when I first left school, I got offered to go to, uh, go and work at Jessica's just as like an apprentice, and I didn't do it. And I started like cutting hair, like boys and girls' hair. And the reason I did it is because you know there's no reading involved. So obviously I wasn't good at school, couldn't read for shit. I'm actually a bit better now, which is weird. Um, so 100% down to your dyslexia. Like that was 100. Yeah. I just thought, like, what's a cool thing to do that's quite creative without having to read anything? I meant, don't you, you like misbehaving in school, would you say? Uh, the schools were different then, like. Yeah, ago, I think, I think because I was dyslexic and I was always conscious of being bullied for it, and I was never bullied at school. So I used to try and act like the rebel and like show off in front of like girls and boys. So because of that, I think that's why I was so bad in school. And also, with me, if I know there's things that I know that I can't do, so like I can see you, you can tell me the alphabet, like like I, do you know what I mean? I can. There's just stuff that I can't do physically, and if I don't want to do it, there's no point. There's no point telling me. That's just the way that I am. So I have to get around it other ways which is cool because I've learned how to do other stuff like you know recipes I just talk it into my phone and that's how I do it so good job for iPhones if I was if I was born like 40 years ago it'd be shit <laughs> but yeah so I talk them into my phone and then they go straight onto my notes page so all my recipes are on my phone so my reading isn't as bad as my spelling weirdly so yeah. I can talk it into my phone then I can read it so yeah so uh, we never got round to what was your first job then? So you done your hairdressing? Oh, so sorry. Yeah. So I did hairdressing for a bit, and then uh, I was with like this girl. I had a girlfriend, and she's like high maintenance because she was like fit as fuck. So like I didn't have enough money while I was doing hairdressing. So my uncle asked me if I wanted to like wash up at, um, the Asquith, which you know Ginger's Bar now. Yeah. It used to be the Asquith. Jason Eves was there, and I. Just on weekends, I'd wash up because I was going on holiday. And then it went from there, really. So I was washing up for maybe three or four months. And then I was coming in earlier and then after school, sorry, after work. So I used to finish at five then. I'd come to town and like just help them. No, no pay or anything like that. And then I still didn't know whether I wanted to do it because it, it's easy doing it then. So, like, you know, you're coming in helping for free. You know what I mean? No one's going to tell you off. No one's going to say, you've got to do... If you do something wrong, it's like, it's free help. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to shout at me. And then eventually, I um, I asked if I could work there. Um, and I worked at the Asquith for about two months, I think it was, until it changed over to the Bistro. But I learned so much from Jason, like... Um, He's a really hard person to get along with, in a way. But if he believes in you and stuff, he's the first person that ever believed in me in anything. So he would always show me what to do. Always had a lot of time for me. He would, like, drop me home. So he lived in, like, Kidderminster, And he'd drop me home to Sheldon. And he was, like, the head chef. Usually he'd be like, fuck off, get the bus, you know what I mean? But he'd drop me home and stuff like that. Sometimes it got a bit intense because we'd sit in the car for about two hours and just talk shit. I was like, I really need to go to sleep. <laughs> Were you naturally good from the beginning at cooking? Or? Uh, I don't think I was as good as I thought I was, but he used to, pra he used to praise me up um, because I think the people that he had around him at the time didn't care as You know, it doesn't matter how good you are, it matters how much you care. So if you're happy to send shit 
then that then that's on you. Your ability doesn't matter in that sense. Everyone can chop an onion, but you know it's he's taking the care to tr- do that onion how he wants it to be done. I think that was the difference, really. I don't think you can teach passion. Like yeah, people yeah. have natural talent, but everyone knows that. What's the old cliche? Um, hard work trumps talent every time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's what I think he's seen you in you straight away. Yeah, yeah. So like he was great with me. Like really, like sh- showed me, and like you know there was never. What what he taught me was there was never a silly question. Yeah, that's the best thing as a, as a chef to know. You know, he'd be like, "Met that Hollander. I don't know how to make a fucking Hollandaise." You know, I grew up on cereal. Like I had cereal for my dinner when I was a kid. Sometimes like Hollandaise. I've never had Hollandaise in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, and then eventually he left when he um turned over to the bistro, and obviously I was still pretty shit. Or maybe like Glyn or whoever was like coming over to change it over there didn't know actually what I was doing at the Asquith because I was still I still wasn't really making anything so I'd I'd come in on the evening and stuff like that and it'd already be prepped so I thought everything was easy do you know what I mean I thought oh you do like I'm just standing there learning how to Cornell and stuff like the cool stuff do you know what I mean rather than you know I weren't there at seven o'clock in the morning like when no one's in it's freezing cold and you have to turn all the stoves on and stuff like that so I did the bar food for the bistro and it was so boring. It was, boring. Yeah, it was so boring because um, obviously it just first opened. Not a lot of people knew that there was having bar food in the day. And obviously the food was nice and stuff like that. It wasn't obviously e- excellent food that, y- that you would eat and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, it was, good, it was a good way to learn. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously yeah. I, ne- I never had that... Um, you know that learning stage is in a sense of like when you first go to a job or catering college where you know you know you learn how to make mayonnaises or even burgers and stuff like that you know i didn't have a clue so you know i was learning all the basics doing that but it was just never busy and uh to be fair i had i had really good hours as well so the bar food would start at like 12 and yeah. finish at like nine so on a Friday and Saturday, I could still go to my mates and stuff like that. So I thought it was still eat. I thought this industry is a bit of a piece of piss. Do you know what I mean? And um, and then I didn't want to. And then what happened was when it changed over, a few of the chefs left. So I thought, you know, this is my way to like get in now. Do you know what I mean? And come away, come away from like the bar food and stuff like that, which didn't. It did happen to a degree. So I got put on like the larder section at the bistro. And uh, it was very complex then, like it was it was similar to like what lunch dishes were on at Panels and stuff like that. So it was a lot more complex. I wouldn't say it was better than it was now because I'd say now it's more consistent. Yeah. But the food was definitely more harder then than it is now to make in like bulks and stuff like that. Especially like when you're doing like, you know, at Panels, the maximum you can do on a Saturday night is 100 and that's only now. It used to only be like 50 and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, at the bistro, you can do 100 for lunch and like 150 for dinner. And you don't know what you're selling either. So, you know, it's just bang, bang, bang. And there was only like five chefs. So I did the larder and the bar food. And I got caught out on it one day. So what I used to do is because obviously I wasn't fast or anything at the time. I was shit, like really shit. I used to like prep all the larder stuff. And then fingers crossed that no bar food would come on in the afternoon because I'd and then I'd stay on my break and prep all that and then one day I just got slammed on bar food and I had no food at all I got pans throughout me and everything like yeah 
yeah, it was shit. But yeah, but that's the best thing that's it. Best thing that's ever happened to me that. Because after that, then it was like fucking hell. Like this, this ain't a joke. Like, I, I'm not saying throwing a pan at someone. Or like I think it was coleslaw actually. I took a coleslaw in my face. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> but obviously, there's better ways to go about it. But it embarrasses you, and it's in front of everyone, and it's like, you know, I don't want that happening again. I would never do that to someone. But you know, it was different than that. It was like what 11 years ago. Um, and you know, there was always there was always like more pressure on me as well because of my uncle working at Panels. <laughs> There was always like, how the fuck can you do that? Do you know what I mean? There was always more, even though I didn't have the same, you know, he went to catering college, he worked at a lot, a lot of places, but I always had pressure on me to be like, not shit, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So would you say that's like the kick up the arse you probably needed, really? Yeah, it was definitely the kick up the arse that I needed. Um, and to be honest, I think if that day didn't happen, that I wouldn't have actually, I would have just been probably working in doing chicken wings or something like that i wouldn't have had as much passion if that didn't happen because that's drive me on then to be like i know it sounds like a fucking you know a story but you know i'm not saying it like that but you know i was like nah fuck that that's never happening again do you know what i mean and then you know i made sure that that didn't happen again so where did you go from there then so i stayed there for how long was it two years and then obviously i didn't know anything about food then all I knew was that restaurant. I knew of Panels, you know. I knew about Michelin stars just from like watching the TV and stuff like that. But then I started getting more into food and like you know. And the way that I thought about it is, you know, working at the bistro at them times, you were still doing 65, 70 hours a week. So you was you was doing the same amount of hours as you was doing at Panels, to a degree. Maybe if there was doing a few more at Panels, and obviously the food is a lot more technical. But, you know, if you're going to spend that much time somewhere, then you might as well go somewhere that's sick. Do you know what I mean? Like, the bistro was good to learn, but, you know, if you want to take it to that next level, you might as well. So, I spoke to Luke, and I didn't even know this. So, I was just watching, like, how old was I? I was probably 19. And, you know, I was just watching stuff like Tom Carriage became quite famous then, and that, and Hand and Flowers. And then I spoke to the sous chef at the bistro, and I was like, you know, I'd love to go to Hand and Flowers. And then he told me that Luke, Luke Butcher is... The, who was the sous chef at the time at Panals, used to work at the Hand and Flowers. So I was like, nah, I didn't, I didn't even know. That's how much little knowledge that I had. Um, so I asked Luke if I could go to the Hand and Flowers to do a stage. And I went there for four weeks. I took all my holiday and just went there. And uh, obviously Luke was close to Aaron, who was the head chef at the time and stuff like that. And they actually offered me a job at the Hand and Flowers from the bistro which was really really cool um but then obviously luke found out that they offered me a job at the hand and flowers <laughs> so he was like fuck that you might as well just come down here so then i went to, so from there i went to Panales for two years yeah wow yeah so, so you're working under Tom Kerridge, then you've worked under Luke and yeah Kerry. well it was more Aaron then to be fair yeah. and you know it was again it was for a shorter time and and it was always that like you know if I made a mistake it wouldn't have it wouldn't have mattered but you know I definitely proved myself that I'd, I could I could mix it at that level if you like with them offering me a job so what yeah. was the, the difference in food between the bistro and hand of flowers 
Um, obviously, the Hand and Flowers is like a two-star pub, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so it's yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, not like you know, it's not like um, it's not a linear, but you yeah. know, it's it's doing everything properly and well. And I think the difference with the Hand and Flowers is that was more set as like, um, you know, it was definitely a two Michelin star kitchen. Just just the way of like you know, people being in control, and the staff that they had and. The hour, the hours that they did was ridiculous. Like breakfast checks would be coming on, and like you know they'd just be like they'd be prepping like fish and stuff upstairs. It was, and running down to make breakfast. It was like, you know, you could. It was more of um, it was more of a team and a goal there rather than the bistro. Whereas the bistro was, you know, nice food, but let let's churn it out. Do you know what I mean? The hand and flowers. It, it was more of a more of a lifestyle. So, you know, the guys would live out the back and, you know, they'd come in at half six and it was more of like an aim, whereas the bistro was more of a job in that in that sort of sense. Yeah, I completely understand. Like, if you've got a whole team aiming for something, trying yeah. to maintain two stars, it's yeah. no joke, you know. Yeah, definitely. So you, that made you probably even more of a better chef when you went back to Pinal's? Yeah, I think... Um, so I went back to the bistro for a bit after that, a few months, and then... I got told that I was going to Pernell's on this date um, and I was shitting myself, literally shitting myself because, you know, because it was di- even to the point of, you know, like with just dyslexia always comes into it for me to like even, you know, they'd, they'd send someone up to the bistro and say, um, you know, you have to do like fridge temperatures and stuff like that down there. So I started doing them up here and I was like, fucking hell, what the fuck, man, I've got to go down there and do fridge temperatures. Did you explain to, like, the gaffers and that, like? I've never explained it to anyone. More out of, like, um, more about about of, like, being embarrassed, really, in a sense. So even, like, the first year at Pernal's, I would, like, you know, you have to label everything and stuff like that. And, you know, I wouldn't label it. I'd just put the date on it and put it in the fridge and hope no one noticed. And then if they did... You know, I'd never ask someone to say, you know, can you spell that for me? Because it's embarrassing, do you know what I mean? It's like a boy kitchen and a proper like, you know, you can get you can get roasted for shit like that. Not not in a bad way. They think it's a joke, but they don't know how serious it is. It's, do you know a, what it's I mean? a different time as well. You're talking ten years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ten years ago there was a misconception that like um, dyslexia, you weren't very smart. But now that's been dispelled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knows, so that's not yeah. True. I mean, they might have. Like entrepreneurs, I think the majority of like successful entrepreneurs are uh, dyslexic. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah, um, I think it's changed massively. Like, um, yeah, it has. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, what was your role at Pinal's then? So I was a commie chef. Yeah. Um, so I was on the larder with a guy called Phil. Me and Phil are like really close now. He's like one of my best friends. Um, and he was actually like really, really. Uh, he was really good to me. So he's quite like. Um, like a soft soul whereas you know in that kitchen it's quite like at that time not shouting in a bad way like everything was for a reason and stuff like that but it was quite male dominated kitchen like a lot of swearing you know and I was quite shy um, when I first started and he he really like helped me actually Um, he was like he was a bit it felt like I was like his little brother do you know what I mean? So he would like, you know, he would never shout at me, tell me if I did something wrong and stuff like that. Because the way it works at Pernal was like, you have a commie and a chef de party on each section. Yeah. And uh, 
so the chef the party is in charge so if i do something wrong it's him who's going to get shouted at then he has to shout at me so that's how it worked there um but yeah he was really really nice to me uh, a bit too nice actually because i think he kept me not on purpose because you know as i say he's like one of my good friends but he kept me in my shell there and you know i didn't have any confidence for probably the first year of working at Panels, but it didn't help that I was late on my second day. I was, I was, uh, how late was I? Yeah, I think I was an hour late on my, on my second day. It's not a little late. How come you were so late? I just, I just, I just overslept and I made some excuse up about, you know, my washing machine breaking, just shitting myself. At least you came in, a lot of people would yeah, have just said Yeah, yeah, but I had a massive, um, I remember it, I had a massive voicemail, voicemail off Luke, like, <laughs> Hello, Cray. It's your second day at Panam's restaurant. You're an hour late. Uh, quite a serious, like, and I was like, fucking hell, man. And then I walked in, and it was a different environment. And then it was probably, it's, it's not a bad thing. No one talks to you if you're late. So you walk in. First thing I do is go up to Luke. Sorry, I'm late. Yeah, okay. Then Dave at the time, who was the sous chef there as well. Sorry, I'm late. And then, sorry to Phil, Phil says, don't worry about it. Everyone else don't speak to you. Do you know what I mean? It's just, just the way that kitchen's... It's probably still like that, though. It's not a bad thing, you Is know. Is that because maybe it puts everyone else under the cash? You, you yeah, of course. Day wrong yeah, especially the second day. Like, what the yeah. fuck, mate? You can't be late on your second day. Um, I suppose when a new chef starts, they've got to trust that they can be at the same kind yeah, of Yeah, exactly. If you're late on your second day, what are you going to do on your third day? Do, do you know what I mean? Like, you have to, like, earn it there, really. Um, yeah. Was it kind of a prestige in saying to people outside of work, oh, I work at Panels? Uh, there wasn't any time for that, really. Uh, we've just been there constantly. Um, and also, where I'm from, no one gives a fuck. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like my, yeah. Even my family, like, yeah, they're proud of me, but they don't know what mission stars are. They don't know. They're just wondering why you're always at work and you're getting paid so little money. That's all there. That, what? You come in at 12 o'clock on the night and you're getting 16 grand a year. Yeah, I am, but, you know, I enjoy it. They don't understand, like, what you have to do. Was there a temptation in the early days to go and work on, like, maybe the building sites or something like You know, that your mates were probably getting decent money, plumbing. Mm. It was, the thing is with me, it was like, I was always, obviously, being dyslexic. When I left school, I genuinely didn't know what I was going to do. I thought it was like going to be the end of the world. I thought I was literally going to be... Uh, so when I was at school, I was always money-driven at school. So like my mom owns like a recruitment uh, consultancy. So she used to send me out to work when I was like 15 on like weekends in like factories. Um, and she used to pay me cash, which was cool. Uh, but, you know, it was shit factories. Like one, this one factory was like a bacon factory in the middle of Smevik in it, Christmas time it was holiday at school and it was snowing and I used to have to get the 59 bus there at half six in the morning and literally I had a pair of scissors and I was chopping chopping bacon like the packet open and then chopping it up and putting it in another tub and doing that all day and I genuinely thought that that's what I was gonna have to do when I left school did that help you like when times were tough in the kitchen you thought wow I could it could be worse I could be back in that yeah I never actually ever um, thought it was tough in the kitchen you know like obviously I'd have bad days and good days where you know I thought like people were being maybe a bit bit too out of order and stuff like that but I never blamed anyone or anything like that Um, there's a guy called Dave Taylor there 
and um, I don't want to be rude, but I don't really like him. I don't really like him to this day. I think, you know, I have a lot of respect for Luke, um, you know, and what what he did for me, and you know. But I think there's there's a, there's being stern with someone and showing them the way, and then being a little bit of a bully, which is different. But the bullies in kitchens are the ones that are not really that good. So you have to be a bully. Do you know what I mean? You know, if you're good enough, you don't have to be a bully. You, you can already gain that respect. Whereas um, I was late again when I was... Uh, <laughs> I think it was maybe six or seven months in. And um, literally, this is a true story and it sounds like a lie. I, was, I went to sleep, fine. And I woke up late and my phone was smashed on the floor. It fell off. It must have fell off my bedside. So unless my girlfriend had gone through it at the time and seen something she didn't like. <laughs> but she, it, must have li- it must have, in the night, not fell off or anything, but I must have knocked it off. And it was broke on the floor. And I was two hours late that day. And I, um, oh, this is a different story. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, so I was two hours late that day. And I got told off, which I should have. And no one spoke to me again that day, which was rightly so. Uh, but there was once there when I worked there, and um, used to take the bins out quite. So commies would take the bins out quite often, and I'd always make sure, like no matter how much prep I had to do, that no one would ask me to take that bin out. So I'd always do it before someone would ask me. So constantly, and the pot wash, so like we the pot washing used to come in till eleven, I think it was, and we'd be there from seven. But it was down to me. And another guy, who was a commie at the time, called Shaq, who works at Folium now, um, to, you know, put that through. But Shaq was on pastry with Luke. So when you're on pastry with Luke, you're a bit, you're a bit more prestiged. So, you know, if Luke needs you to do something, you don't run over and do the pots, you know what I mean? So, you know, I used to make sure I was, make sure I put in the pots through and make sure I took the bins out. And it was my mum's birthday. And I took the bins out. And I text her saying happy birthday. And um, there's a camera by the bins. And uh, I came back in and David obviously looked at the camera. The camera's in the dry stores. And he took my phone off me for the whole day and said, why are you on your phone at work? And I didn't even say it was my mum's birthday. I just said, all right, I have the, I have the phone. Do you know what I mean? Give it him. And then it got to about three o'clock, I think it was. And I was meeting my mum. Works in mum worked in town as well at the time. I was meeting her on my on my split because uh, I didn't live at home then. And I was like, "Can I have my phone back?" And he was like, "Are you not going to go on it again at work?" And I thought, "You know what? I work here probably seventy hours a week. Like, you know, I think some. And this is a guy who is constantly on his fucking phone. By the way, do you know what I mean? Like, never not seen him on his phone. No, I'm texting my mum saying happy birthday. Like." Yeah, so I didn't really... I still respect him, but I think there's ways of going about it, do you know what I mean? And Definitely, definitely yeah. So, yeah. So how long did you be at Penals? Two years, did you say then? Yeah, two years I was at Penals, yeah. And, uh, did you have a favourite dish while you were at Penals? Nah, so my favourite part of Penals was... Um, you know, I, I had a really good time there, actually, and I think I was very lucky to like work with the chefs that I worked with. So, like, I worked with Phil on the larder... And then I, and then Sam came on the larder. So Sam and Phil are the sous chefs now at Penal. So I got to work with both of them, which I'm really lucky. Yeah. Um, 
but Sam is a lot more stern than Phil. Not in a, like, or with a fuck up, but more like, you know, you have to earn his respect. He just won't talk to you in the morning. Like, there was mornings when we first started, we just didn't talk to each other, we just did our jobs. But then, you know, we got on really well in the end. And we used to have, like, races on a Saturday. He'd always win. Because, honestly, I've never met a chef like him. He's so good. Um, he would always win, but on, he's always, like, really competitive. So on Saturdays, we used to have, like, races to get the prep done first and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, so, basically, when I was at Panels, I maybe got got friends with the right people so f- Dave left after a, maybe a year I was at Panels. so then Phil and Sam was the sous chefs but I'd already worked with Phil um, and I was working with Sam at the time so you know they're two good people to like you know make friends with in that kitchen and then then I got to go on a pastry with Luke and uh, that was so good man like I remember I remember thinking that oh, I never wanted to do pastry. Shit. Why, like, why does pastry get such a bad rep? Like you hear all like chefs say. Like, you oh, know I what it is? It's, bec- it's because you can't wing it. So if the recipe is not right and you haven't done it right, then you haven't done it right. It's nothing to do with anything else. With any with any other section, you can get away with maybe you know not putting as much sugar in or salt or you know in service you know you, you can get away pastry you can't it has to be perfect or it's not right did you find that pastry even harder with dyslexia as well so imagine that's all the exact measurements and a lot of stuff's wrote down and imagine it's a lot more precise than a lot of stuff yeah luckily luke is very organized in a sense of that like you know he had he had like this um i don't know how to explain it's like a plastic wallet but hard plastic. Sealy bag. No, no, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a hard plastic wallet with like um, letters in it. And all, all the recipes would be beyond that letter. So if it was bread, it would be beyond B. You know what I mean? So, so it went like that. And all his recipes were perfect. And, um, you know, you would just have to follow. But that, that, that gave me the confidence, actually. Because I'm being on pastry. Like you just have to follow. That's the first time I really ever followed recipes that I could just look at, and then I realised that you know it's only food. So you know it's with we if you're making the bread, it's only going to say flour, sugar, salt, yeast, water, oil. Like they're basic things you can look at. Do you know what I mean? It's when it starts saying bicarbonate soda when I get when I struggle. So you know which it did on some of the recipes, but you know you when you've worked in kitchens then you grasp what them words are do you know what I mean it's like starting school isn't it you know you you know what ponies because you see a pony like it's just just the way they work so I never really struggled with um, with it I struggled with getting it right and and asking Luke for help really which was um, I should have probably asked him for more help on certain things but you know, I was really confident at that time. So after like being on the pastry for like three months, I was the most confident I've ever been as a chef. Because you know, I just worked with Phil and he thought I was all right. Then I just worked with Sam and he thought I was all right. Now I'm working with Luke, and he thinks I'm all right. So I must be doing something right. So I was a bit not cocky, but you know, I was sure of myself that you know I can make the bread as good as Luke. Not not to the same speed. But, you know, I can still get that recipe as perfect as Luke. And, you know, he's, that bread's still going to taste the same when that comes out of the oven as Luke's would be. So I was all right when I went on the pastry. And I really, I enjoyed it more than any other section, weirdly, yeah. 
do you find working in kitchens like that when you'd move from the bistro that it's actually the standards higher obviously but then it's easier because you know what you're cooking you people can't order there's no like a la carte yeah it's just you know your dishes that day yeah i think um that's why a lot i, I don't i don't really ever want to go and work in an a la carte restaurant and it, and it's a stigma so it stays with you so you know you get when i was in cornwall got a la carte checks on and you just bam 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 you're all over the place you know what i mean it's natural because you don't know you don't want to keep everything out of your fridge you don't want to keep everything in your fridge and sometimes you know what you're going to sell and not what you're going to sell but i think you can be more consistent with a tasty menu but also at Panels, it was a la carte lunch as well and stuff like that and there was two menus so there used to be the now menu uh, and the reminisce, which was obviously all Glyn's old dishes from TV and stuff like that. Uh, so you still didn't, you still had to guess uh, what you was doing in a sense. And that's why Saturdays were so fun as well because you know you'd have these two menus and you didn't. Half of the people would say what they're gonna what they're gonna have, but then half of the people would turn up and just say, "Oh, we'll have the now menu or the reminisce," or you know, "Can we have the now menu, but we want to try the monkfish?" You know, so it. it it wasn't that different at Panels, really, because there wasn't just one menu or anything like that, and it was all tickets, so it was, it was quite similar. Like it was quite old school like that, which is a good thing. So you know, you still have the a la carte and the tasting menu and two tasting menus, and Saturdays used to be really good, just because I used to love guessing what I'd sell and just have enough, or not not have enough and then run around for ten minutes and after. But it was really good like that. It was really cool. Before I interrupted you about pastry chefs and why people hate doing pastry, you were just about to say what your favourite dish from, from Panals was. My favourite dish at the time at Panals didn't go on the menu, you know. <laughs> uh, Luke, like, uh, eventually got, like, a, a room in the back where it was, like, um, you know, temper chocolate and you just create new dishes. He's, he's got it now, I think, I'm not sure. But, you know, it's just his, like, development kitchen in there. And he made a cream egg, man. And I remember seeing it, and it tasted better than a cream egg, but looked exactly the same. And I just said to him, I don't know how you've done that, but I really want to know. And I never actually know how he did it. Um, but yeah, but my favourite dish on the pastry side is the bread. Because I don't genuinely don't think that there's better bread in the country than that bread. No, I don't. And I've had it at a lot of places. Yeah, you had the bread at the start. Yeah, the black treacle. I don't. He might have changed now, but yeah, the, oh really? It's probably changed. And the egg didn't go on the menu because obviously he's got the iconic. Um, it was actually custard. to replace the egg custard, yeah. But you know, you can't replace that egg custard. No, that's still one of the best Yeah, yeah, and everyone asks for it as well, but you know. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So from Penaos, where did you go from there? I went to the Man Beyond the Curtain straight from Penals. So I went there at, I went and did a stage there for two weeks. And then, yeah, got a job there. Yeah, it was cool. Did you, did, you didn't go there as a comedy, you went? No, I went to, it was, it's diff, it was different at the Man Beyond the Curtain. There wasn't really any positions. So like, when I left Penals, I, was, I wasn't really a commie. I was a commie on paper-ish, but you know, Luke trusted me in the end. That was more my, you know, it was Luke's recipes and Luke was always after the last say, but you know, he, he could leave me to it. 
where I don't think he's had that before. Like he could leave me to it, to, and you know, I would say to Luke, like we've only got one bag of that left. Do you know what I mean? It was. I, I'm not gonna say I take all like any credit. Like oh, it was my section, still Luke's section, but I think he, you know, he was starting to become more of my section before I was leaving. So I wasn't a commie when I left um, Penals. And I didn't think I was a commie anyway, especially with the people that I worked under. I think leaving there, I definitely wasn't a commie, and I think they knew that as well, yeah. Yeah. How did it come about? Did Luke know, like, Michael O'Hare, or was there some connection there? No, so I just really, like, loved, obviously, I've always been quite a unique person, as in a sense of, like, you know, try to be different. And it's not always a good thing, but, you know, if everyone's wearing wallabies at school, then I'd go and buy a stupid pair of shoes that looked totally different. And it might be worse. Sometimes it was worse. I look shit. But, you know, I've always been like that. And I think Michael at that time was definitely someone that was doing something totally different. And uh, I went there on a, on a starge. Luke got me the starge, actually. Um, I, I thought, because what's really good about Penals is when you've been there for so long that they... they they literally tell you or infuse you to go somewhere else and go and learn something else. So, you know, it can never get stale. You know, I could have stayed at Penals. I could still be at Penals now. Do you know what I mean? And, like, um, you know, there's not really much progression at Penals. It's like, especially when you start so low, you can't really work your way. You can only work your way up to a certain point, but then there's Phil, Sam and Luke already there, and, you know, you're not topping them. So... And it's good to learn uh, in other restaurants as well. So, you know, at Penals, after two years, they actually say to you, you know, where do you want to go? And they'll help you go, which was really, really good. So, yeah, Did I went in. Did you and have a Michelin star when you went there? Or? It's not my start. So I went there for starge. Um, I don't know what month it was. I don't know what the guide was then. And then I got the job and I came back to Penals. I was in service and obviously the guide had come out and Phil whispered into me, uh, I'm behind a curtain, just got a star. I was devastated. Genuine, yeah, genuine devastated. Because, you know, you want to be somewhere that, that you know, gets the star. I thought, when I went to my star, I was like, this is getting a star. You know, you want to be part of that. You don't want to miss it. Um, yeah, and I just missed it, yeah. so. How different was the food? From Penals? Yeah. Yeah, totally different. Like, um, when I started there, you know, they, they didn't have many chefs and stuff like that. And, you know, at the Man Beyond the Curtain, there was more of, like, a life balance to work. Like, where at Penals, it was more like, you know, you get your two days off a week, but, you know, the rest of it, you're in from seven till till midnight on a Tuesday, it could be some days, you know what I mean? Whereas Penals, it was more like, you know, we want to have fun as well. Like, you know, you need to live life and stuff like that. Where Michael was very good at, like, you know, we were shut Tuesdays, you know, we would start at 10 in the morning. We weren't open for lunch on Wednesday and Thursday. So, you know, there was there was, there was, was less less greed about the restaurant. It was more of like a balance. Whereas, you know, we can make enough money doing this. Let's just be happy and just do this rather than coming in on a on a Tuesday morning doing and prepping and doing two people. Like, we might as well just fill Friday night and then we're ready for Friday night. It was more like... Completely down to Michael, do you think, yeah, definitely down to Michael. Like, I think he's 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 very much like that, where he wants you to, you know, in, enjoy your work and do it properly. But you know, you can only do it properly if you're happy. And if you're working somewhere eighty hours a week, it don't matter where you're working. I don't care what you say. You're not happy. 
You can't be. It's impossible. It's like prison. It's prison. Yeah. Like so you're saying, the food was completely different. Yeah, the food was. The food was completely different, but the thing is with Mike's food, like people try and labour it as style over substance, and you know because he uses bright colours and different ingredients. But you know, I went there and I tasted. Ev- he gave me everything to taste, and I didn't think that at all. I genuinely didn't. I thought like everything was really good that I tried, and I didn't expect it. I thought I was gonna. I didn't know what to expect to be honest, but it you know, so different to any food I've tried. Like it's yeah. Does a what's the prawn on the telephone? Yeah, the prawn on the telephone, the seeker prawn. Yeah, but that is literally. So Michael's very clever in like you know. He knows what people want to eat, so you know that prawn on the telephone there is at the man behind the curtain. It's the best prawn you can buy in the world. It's on a telephone, but it's literally like. It's a tikka prawn um, that you can get from a, an Indian restaurant. It tastes very similar, but just a little bit better. But Michael's very good at knowing what people want to eat, rather than, you know, asparagus and nasturtium puree. No one wants to eat that. It tastes like shit. <laughs> Let's just be honest. No one wants to eat that. You tell yourself you do because it's in these fine dining restaurants and it's, you know, you know, like foraging for this and that. No, man, it all tastes like shit. No, there's no better food than takeaway food, is there? Exactly. So why do you want to eat a fucking a fermented onion that's been there for ten years? So really, is the opposite of style. He is, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. If any of our listeners haven't seen that dish, I'll put a photo up on the show notes. Yeah. It's iconic, man. Have you seen it, Carl? Yeah, I've actually. Yeah, I've seen that dish. It looks. Good. To be fair, I remember when he first came on. This might be a good segue into Great British Menu as well, because that's where I first became aware of Michael uh, when he was a contestant on it. Yeah. And I remember seeing his food plate on plates, and I'd never seen... I was like, which, is that all edible? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Away. Yeah. I think, like, with anyone's food, like, um, you know, there's always inspiration from other chefs and stuff like that. You know, no one makes it up. It's the same with fashion. You know, it comes back around as... There's no one that you know made it up but I think Michael now is is definitely in a position where you know all his plates and all his influences is a hundred percent him so that telephone was definitely his idea you know it was based around an artist that put a lobster on a phone you know and no one thinks like him like that and whether you like it or you hate it you have to respect it I suppose so how did you work so you started there and you weren't Head chef, then obviously, but you no, ended up no. head chef. So, how did you end up from getting there to head chef? Um, the thing I think it was more, I'm gonna be honest, it was luck to be honest with you. So, like, you know, when I worked at the Man Beyond the Curtain, there was only three chefs and Mike. So, there was Luke who had worked with him at the Blind Swine, Matt Blackwell, who we knew from York, and Adam Rasburn, who, um, who, who came for his wife was the restaurant manager and they needed another chef so he came and um yeah there was only them and then it was me that came in so you know luke went to the rabbit in the moon matt went to live in australia and adam you know was at a time there he wanted to move so and you know it just slotted in really with luck that you know i was i was next in line really for that position it's luck that 
maybe it is a little bit lucky that you got to that position like by a little bit of default but it's not luck that you kept that position no no it wasn't luck that i kept that position i don't think but you know at the m i think i'm gonna be honest the man behind the curtain it's the easiest place in the world to be a head chef why because you know all you have to do all, it's it's michael's food like 100 percent. like you know there's points where you know he he will say you know i want to make drumstick ice cream like let's get some drumsticks in and make a drumstick ice cream and then you have to come up with a way to make that and then you'll give it him and he'll try it and say it needs this that but in the end it's his no matter how much work you put into making it he's tasted it and said it needs that it don't need that so it's his it's his recipe what was the craziest thing you come in and uh <laughs> hello panda ice cream was a bit of a mad one you know hello panda the sweets the yeah. asian sweets yeah, yeah. yeah made ice cream out of them it just tasted like a tasted like a chocolate bourbon to be honest <laughs> but it was cool because it was hello but no it was for um you have a restaurant in manchester Audley yeah. edge and it was for a pop-up there so it's an asian pop-up but you know he's had some he's had some blinders but he's had some bad ones as well <laughs> i'll be honest with you some terrible ideas but he's first to admit that as well did um, you ever get to say to him you know hey, mike that that's not the best <laughs> scrap that mate yeah of course but you know he'd always know as well you know he's he's you know he might look the way that he does and act the way that he does but you know he knows food like he's worked at people forget where he's actually worked you know he's been at noma stuff like that he was pastry chef at John Burton race you know what I mean he's not just a gimmick you know yeah. he knows his food like yeah how much input did you get on the menu zero zero, zero yeah. input on the menu maybe like um, you know it's different at the man it was different at the man beyond the curtain in a sense of like you know at Pinal's it would be more like you know Luke Glenn Sam Phil that would have ideas and they would be brought to you know you was never never involved in any of it whereas with michael it's totally different so he'll come in and say i've had this idea I, what can i i can I explain it what dish the prawn let's say the prawn you know i've had an idea let's put the denier prawn on tikka spice on the telephone but then you know you'd met the tikka spice and you know you'd come up with a recipe for that but in the end obviously you would give it to him and say what do you think of that? And they go, shit, good, or you know, it needs this, it needs that. How many different recipes would you end up having to give him for one day? Uh, probably four or five, or like sometimes you would just like you'd get bored of giving it him, so you'd just like fuck it off, and then <laughs> hope he forgets, which sometimes he did, yeah. So obviously you've gone from there. How, how did you end up on Great British Menu? Um. I don't actually remember how I ended up on Great British Menu. I think obviously, you know, they were looking for new chefs on there, like like they always do and stuff like that. And you know, I think Mike mentioned, you know, if I wanted to go on it to me, I said yeah. Then he mentioned it to them because obviously he was the judge, and then just went from there. Really, yeah. That's a. Was it daunting the idea of going on it, considering all the chefs that have been on it before? Um. Not really, because I think I don't want to be rude to like the the program or anything, but it's not the same, is it? Like, you know, I'm not going up against Daniel Clifford and Sat Baines and Glyn Penal and Mark Lair. I'm going up against like, 
you know, some people on there, I don't even know they've got on there, like, you know, like, literally pub pub chefs, like, and I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, I was probably arrogant and thought, no, I'm not bothered, like, I watched the series before and I thought, you know, it's not that great. To be honest, my year was actually better than the year before, I think, especially with, especially with the chefs, like, especially in finals week, like, they were people that, you know, deserved to be there and stuff like that, I think. You must have been excited how it's, it's made a lot of chefs into kind of household names. Yeah, it has. It only benefits you for what you do after. So, you know, if you don't have a restaurant or, you know, I think it benefits you more if you've got a restaurant or, you know, you work in somewhere that's prestige or something like that. But, you know, it's easy to be forgot about. Like, I went to Digbuff Dining Club the other night. And have you ever watched, uh, you watched X Factor, haven't you? Yeah. You know uh, Mason Noise on X Factor? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember him? Yeah. Yeah, mate, he was serving chicken wings behind the counter at Digbeth Dining Club. That's how much it can change, do you know what I mean? So unless you have that restaurant, that, you know, that backing and stuff like that, you know, there's a lot of people that have come through, but the only people that have come through really are the people that have had that before and the are the old names yeah so tom kerridge daniel clifford glimpanar sat baines they was already prestige chefs michael o'hare already had a restaurant what was the tv program really like uh i've, I've heard a lot of rumors about like runners and producers like sabotaging like dishes and uh to be honest with you i think it's um you know I don't think it lets you truly be who you want to be. It's a bit, you know, do you know, it's a bit like a film. Like, you know, you're not acting. You do have to be yourself. But, you know, if you're having a bad day, you're having a bad day. Like, stop trying to cheer me up. Do you know what I mean? Like, whoo, in front of the camera. You need to be exciting. You need to be this. No, man. I just want to be who I am. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not the Hunger Games. <laughs> like, <laughs> look off. It must have been a bit... Daunting cooking for Paul Ainsworth. Yeah, it was actually. I didn't think. Um, I genuinely, um, I thought because you know you have you not don't have a you don't you don't know obviously who the judges, but I had an inkling because on the back wall, so all the chefs that are contestants are on this wall, and then the judges are on the other wall opposite you, but straight down was two chefs just on that wall on their own. It was Paul Ainsworth and. Um, Tom Aitkins and I thought it was going to be Tom any, and I was like fuck's sake man I don't want Tom <laughs> do you know what I mean he's a nutter <laughs> like, I mean you're not the first person that's Tom yeah <laughs> not a nutter that's really harsh but you know like I didn't want him like I thought he's not going to get it and that because you know he's quite very classical and like you know I remember someone doing a consomme on there once with Agar and he ripped them to shreds he's like you know you need to do a proper consomme I was like he's just not going to understand what I'm doing here you must have been still happy with your um, all tens for your dessert. Yeah, I was happy. And if I'm going to be honest with you, I don't understand how that didn't get to the banquet. Um, you were close. I mean, I think you got to it. You were in the final three when you were in the last. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, with the competition as well, like, you know, it's a good competition and, you know, it's good for chefs to, you know, showcase what they can do and stuff like that. But, you know, I think you know there's a lot i wouldn't say politics but you know there's a lot of favoritism and um you know you don't get judged on just this year do you know what i mean so you know they were the judges the you know like with a but it's the same with boxing do you know what i mean we yeah. can all watch a boxing match tonight 
and you two can think he won and I can think he won but the only people that matter is the three judges that scored the fight yeah. everyone has an opinion on it do you know what I mean um, and you know I think with that it's like you know they do look into last year and what happened last year and the year before and you know I genuinely believe if I was to go in that competition this year that I would win and I think I could put up shitter dishes than I did last year and win because of the outrage of when I actually lost the dessert like they have to have to it's the same with like Tom Brown like you know they had to put him through that year because he's Tom Brown and you know he did so well the first year with Lorna Lorna had to get through because she shouldn't have she shouldn't have lost the year before to yeah. someone making a fucking nettle cake <laughs> like, who the fuck wants to eat a nettle cake yeah. I don't care what it tastes like man it's a nettle cake was that still something in your mind when you were doing the, the competition that the food you made was still something that they wanted to eat yeah I wasn't really the thing is I wasn't really bothered about getting through so I was more bothered about getting through to Friday which was my main goal because no one wants to go out first and I thought the judges are either going to just shred it to shit or they're going to enjoy it. So either way, I'm either going home or I'm not. And I think I was very lucky that I actually went through. I think if Sabrina cooked like she did for Paul, I wouldn't have gone through. But, she, you know, she undercooked the Wellington and stuff like that. So, How did you find coming up with the food to match the brief that they set for that year? Um, I think... Uh, what I tried to do was, you know, I think for me, it was more like the brief was more important than the food because, you know, we can all cook. So, like, anyone that goes on that competition, you don't get on it without knowing how to cook, whether it's at that level or this level or whatever level. You can all cook food. So if you don't hit the brief, then what was the point? Which I genuinely thought, like, not being rude to anyone, but, you know, no one hit the brief that well. Like, no, that, that year was different. Yeah. Well. Usually people hit the brief, all right. Yeah. That year, like, hardly anyone seemed to even yeah. notice. And I just think, the song in the background I just think was it was a lot of cop-out, do you know what I mean? Like, and, you know, I think the brief was really important to me to show that, you know, you know, it's to do with mu- music. Like, it's not that hard to hit the brief. You can't just give me, like, you know, like... I don't even know who to say, to be honest. Okay, the guy, the guy I was up against literally just did a Sunday roast and j- tried to name it after a song. No, man, like, it makes no sense. Like, it either has to look like it, it has to have a connection to it. You know, you've had all this time to prepare for it and the best that you've come up with is a Sunday roast with a song in the background. Like, no, man, like... Well, you compare that to your... Um Sharon dish, yeah, like yeah, one, like yeah. That looked it looked like Black Sabbath on a plate. Yeah, so yeah. thank well, you. Really with that. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's what I tried to do. So like, I tried to make it look as interesting as it tastes. And you know, I probably, you know, I, f- I thought too much about it in a sense of you know, I thought I was only to be honest. I thought after Friday I weren't going through, and this is before the competition started. So I thought if I do dishes that look like the look, um. You know, people at home don't eat it. Do you know what I mean? The, the, no one gets to try it. So all they can say is, wow, that looks fucking sick. There's only f- there's only three, four people that are trying it. One's Paul and the three judges. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Um, did you get any... Did you speak to sort of Glenn or Michael about how to go on it? Yeah, cool. I got a lot of help from Michael. Um, uh, a lot of help. 
as in the sense of like you know he funded the plates and stuff like that for me um he helped me with certain dishes like the punk dish the studs were probably more michael than me if i'm honest like he had the idea for the studs obviously he didn't make them he didn't dip them spray them or you know but I think everyone in that finals week had had some sort of help from from who they were working for. You know, I, went, I came joint second with someone who did Paul Ainsworth's dish that Paul Ainsworth won the show with. Yeah. He did the same dish, <laughs> like, and he conferred, and no one's mentioning it. Like, no one said, did not did Paul Ainsworth not do Monkey Red? No one once said that, or they did, but they just cut it off camera. So I think everyone gets help, but you know, also when you're there, you're on your own. So it don't matter what someone's told you to do before it or showed you what to do. You're on your own and you've got to do it for yourself. So yeah, with the, but the dessert actually, so I give it to Michael maybe three times before I went on the TV, never finished. And he just slagged it every single time. He did like, this could be cold, eh? but he's always like that anyway. Like, and it's a good thing. He wasn't doing it to be a cunt. But I knew it was right. Do you know when you know something's right? And I thought, you know, I'm not giving you again. I'm just gonna. And to be honest, he didn't ask. And uh, he didn't ask to try it again. And I think he just left me to it. Do you think that criticism was coming from a loving place, though? Like, if you just, yeah, yeah, you definitely. Probably knew it was, no, it was yeah, yeah. But he just wanted to push you. No, he just wanted it to be better. But is that you know, what it's like anyway in the kitchen? Yeah, like yeah. Coffee? Like, no, nothing's perfect for him which I understand that totally, but I genuinely, hands on heart, thought it was perfect. But there's different stages of it as well, so I give it to him at first, and it wasn't wasn't how I wanted it and stuff, you know, and then, you know, the next time you give it him, it's a bit better and a bit better, and then there was times where, you know, I'd get nervous to give it him and all the dishes, so I used to do them on Saturdays. Uh, I used to come in on Saturday morning, uh... Or he used to have his son on Thursday morning. I'd do it then, and I'd get the guys in the kitchen to try it, and almost like shut Michael out of it because you know I didn't want because you know it's good to get criticism, but you know when you're just about to go on the show, the la- you don't want doubts in your head. Like, and I don't think he meant it like that at all. I genuinely don't like he did just want the best. But I thought you know what, I'm just gonna go with it now and see what happens. So yeah. After the Great British menu, you went back to obviously. Well, you you didn't leave, but obviously. You- Back to your kitchen and staying yeah. at the uh, man behind the curtain. Yeah. What one lesson would you say you learned from working with Michael O'Hare? Uh, a lesson in in what sense? Sorry. Like something you could take with you. That something you've learned and you'll take with you. Oh, I've learned so much from working for Mike. Um, you know how to treat your staff. Number one, so important that a restaurant's not just a, not just about food. So when I worked at Panels. Um, and wherever I've worked, other than Penal, uh, other than the Man Behind the Curtain, you know, chefs are so involved in the food and the food side of it, and just oblivious to everything else that's around it. Like you know, the chairs, the tables, the cloths, you know, the music. You know, it, you know, you can go and ask ninety-five percent chefs in the country what music is on in the restaurant, and they ain't got a fucking clue. And it's so important because it just sets the vibe. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to be like you. So the man behind the curtain, from as soon as you walk in that door till you leave, you know where you are. You know whose restaurant you're at. And I think that's the biggest thing I learned of like, you know, thinking about 
everything like to the point of like where there's people that are coming in that can't read the menu because they've left the glasses at home. Michael's got five pairs of glasses that they bring over to the table <laughs> to say, there you go. Just f everything is thought about, not just the food. That's amazing. I almost want to go without my glasses just to get the glasses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I normally ask chefs when we have them on the show, is there a lesson like, or what's what their best piece of advice would be for any young chefs coming through? But for you, I'd like, what would be your best piece of advice to a young chef who might have dyslexia? Um, to not be embarrassed about it, to be honest about it, and don't let it hinder you. You know, there's certain ways that, you know, you can just get away. You know, every, everyone has something that they're not stronger, but, you know, you know, you get you get away with it. You can, you, you can be better at other stuff or learn to live with it. Like, you know, my phone now is literally like like my best friend is in a sense of I just talk to it if I've got a recipe that I've just made I'll talk to my phone and it will write it down so if I give it to someone else they know it because I can write it myself but only I will know what that says you know what I mean yeah so do you think you've found your style now for how you're going to be moving forward um I think I have found the style of restaurant that I want and the vibe that I want it to be and the clientele that I want to get but I think with food like you know you're always going to learn and you're always going to be different um, and you're always going to you know it's like fashion do you know what I mean like that hat there you're not going to wear that in 10 years but in 20 years your son might say dad can I wear that hat do you know what I mean it's just what happens it just comes around like that so I think food you can never just stop and say that is your style now do you know what I mean but I think I've got a basis that I want to go down and you know, I just want to make food, you know, I want to try and cook for people like that, you know, that are not into fine dining. And I know everyone says that, but, you know, I'm from that. So, you know, I didn't know anything about f fine dining food till I was probably 18. I even worked in a kitchen. I still didn't know. Like, I want to know none of my friends have ever come to eat in any of my restaurants that I've ever worked in because they're scared. Because, you know, there's, you know, for one, it's a 400 pound bill. <laughs> so, yeah, do you know what I mean? That's scary. Yeah. Secondly, there's a tablecloth. There's no music. There's people standing there like they're in the fucking army, watching you. You have to have a wine pairing. I don't even. Some people don't even like wine, but you know, some guy comes over to you in a suit, asks you what you want to drink. You don't fucking know. They don't do Peroni, so like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I want a Peroni. Oh, sorry, we don't do Peroni. Oh, what do you do then? Oh, we have this wine flight. Oh, yeah, I love that. I don't like wine, but, you know, it's just scary. So I want to change it. I like, I want a restaurant where, you know, you can come in, you can have a tasting menu for £50. You can spend what you'd spend at Nando's. You know, the music is what you can relate to. The restaurant looks like it's what you would relate to, but the food's still good. And I think that's the best way to get young people into food, and especially my generation. So how are you moving forward? What are you looking to do now, then? Well, I don't know, to be honest with you, mate. Like, I'm, obviously, I've had my pop-ups and stuff, but, you know, it's hard, It's a hard one for me now because um, it's harder for me now to get a job than it was before I went on the TV. And that sounds weird because, yeah. you know, um, there's, there's restaurants in Birmingham where I'd like to be the head chef at. Um, there's, there's the owners that are chefs and, you know, they don't want someone with more fucking Instagram followers than them, or, do you know what I mean? Or than you know it's stupid um 
But I think for me now, it's just getting that. It's getting it right. So, you know, I could go and work in a hotel tomorrow and earn 100 grand a year. No, I could just walk in like that. But it's going to be shit. The food's going to be shit. I'm not going to like it. No, it has to be the right step. I'm not willing to take any job tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? I'll like, I'll sign on before I go and work in a, sh- in, in a shit restaurant. Do you know what I mean? Because I've worked too hard for that. The hotels, they just sound the complete opposite of exactly what you've just said. Is yeah. what, what you're all about. So why would you do that? Yeah, because money talks so sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. So if someone says, oh, come here, you can earn 75 grand a year. Yeah, but then you get there and it's like, fucking hell, what the fuck's going on here? And I just want to say to all chefs that work in shit hotels and stuff like that, where you're working 65 hours a week doing fucking fish platters, get out of there, man. Because honestly, you're not learning anything. There's plenty of restaurants where you can get a job that you will learn and you work in the same amount of hours than you would in them restaurants and you obviously care because you know you get up for breakfast at half six to do fucking fried eggs like I understand that some people you know that's what they want to do but you know there's a lot more out there than just to do that and you you literally you're getting used do you know what I mean you're getting used you seem quite like annoyed that pe- people don't realise yeah, the potential yeah because literally that so I'll be honest with you I went to a hotel called The Elms yeah they offered me like 75k head chef and it's such a beautiful place like um i went there spoke to the guy that owns it um he was like you know we want to get a mission star and stuff like that i was like this is perfect you know i've never worked in a hotel it's a different thing like you know i think you know i can do it. i can still think i can do it no i'm not saying i'm gonna go there and put the teddy bear on do you know what I mean? Because you, you, there's, there's things that would work, but you know, I can definitely cook. Just because of where I've worked doesn't mean I can't cook normal food to a high standard. So that and, and, you know, I think what's good about me is I know what food works where. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, if I went to, to a hotel tomorrow, I'm not putting the teddy bear rice pudding on. I'm not putting my GBM design. It doesn't make any sense. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, I can still cook like a perfect sticky toffee pudding, stuff like that. And I was really excited to go, you know. And I went there. I was really excited. And I walked in. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Literally, the pans must be about 30 years old. Like, there's, like, grease on the bottom of them, about two inches thick. You know, there's no kitchen porter. Like, they're doing breakfast, then brunch, then lunch, then dinner. They're open for food 14 hours a day. Sick chefs just in there all day, sweating the tits off, so getting paid strange. fucking peanuts, and then living round the back of it in some fucking staff accommodation that like is just a mattress on the floor, get, literally getting treated like like dogs, and to work in a shit place where, you, you know, it's a five million pound building, like, what are you doing? Like, the owner's just got a Lamborghini, and his staff are fucking sat outside, in a like, living on a mattress. Like, it just doesn't work like that, do you know what I mean? So anyone that's doing that, get the fuck out. <laughs> that's, that's probably the best piece of advice we've ever had yeah. on the show, to be honest. I love that. We, we kind of brushed over it, and if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But yeah. um, why did you leave the man behind the curtain? Um, I think after the TV and stuff, you know, um, I made a few mistakes, maybe, with Michael. Um, but, you know, it was a, it's, it got weird, man, like... You know, when I'm in his, I'm in his restaurant, and you know, 
even when he's there when he's not there people are asking me for photos to sign the menu and as i've just said all the food is michael's there you know i've got people on instagram tagging me and stuff saying you need to try craze uh denier prawn on the telephone and you know i reply saying it's not my prawn all the food that the man behind the curtains michael's but then then just the paranoia of like Oh, is Michael going to think I think that prawn's shit now? Because I've said that, like, oh, it's not my fucking prawn. Or does he think, oh, he's saying, oh, it's not his prawn. Do you know what I mean? It's just weird. It was, it was weird from both from both ends, really. And, you know, and I think it's a time where, you know, I, w- I want to try and do, do what I want to do and not just, like, stand in the shadows of Mike. And, like, you know, I could have probably worked at the Mumbi on account for the rest of my life, but... It depends what you want to do as a person, doesn't it? Like, I don't want to do that. I want to have a restaurant with different music to mic, different venue, different chairs, diff- you know, my own. Uh, that is already set in stone of what that is. I don't want to keep going back to the show, but do you regret the show a little bit? No, I don't regret it. I yeah. thought it was sick. I got a 10 from <laughs> Paul Ainsworth, mate. I was buzzing my tits off. <laughs> but um, I, reg- I don't regret the show... But I wouldn't go back on. Yeah, I Because uh, I think also, it's just like, with anything like that, I think like, you know, for me as a chef, like, why the fuck am I on there? Like, Brad Carter has a Birmingham, a restaurant in Birmingham, you know, he's one of the most underrated chefs in, in the fucking UK. Like, only for the last three years, people have recognised what he's doing. He's been there for ages, mate. Like, he's had a star for ages, and no one thought, what the fuck am I doing on there? Do you know what I mean? Making I studs. Think he got a star in his first year. Yeah, exactly, it? mate. Like. Nah, I think it was like. Yeah, two, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he used to do Sunday dinners on it. Yeah. But, but, you know, I re- I'm, I'm glad that I did it, and I'm really, really grateful that I got the opportunity. And I think I did well, you know, getting to the finals for the first, to- for first time and stuff like that. But I wouldn't do it again because also, I've, uh, what I realise is, you know, the brief doesn't f- doesn't matter at all. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't because I'm I'm proven that, like, no one else apart from me has proven that the brief doesn't matter because no one's ever matched the brief like I did, and I still didn't get through. So that means that you can literally do a beautiful plate of food because my my biggest. Uh, what angered me about the show is when someone would do a restaurant plate of food and just put like a note next to it. <laughs> like, what the fuck, man? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Also, I can't even read the note. Like, <laughs> what's going on? So, you know, and then I realised as I was on it that, you know, it doesn't matter. And I think, you know, pricing comes into it, everything like that. Like, I love Adam Reed so much. Like, it was so good to me on, on the show and stuff like that. But, you know, he said it perfectly. He said, I said, Adam, I don't know how you fuck you've won that main course, mate. I'll be honest with you. He said, I did roast chicken for a banquet. No one's not going to like roast chicken. Yeah. And it's cheap. <laughs> I did Wagyu beef, mate. Like yeah. the fuck? It would have cost about 12 grand if I got to the banquet. Yeah. But, you know, it's thinking like that and being smart like that and stuff. Obviously, Birmingham food seems getting better and better. Is it viewed by yourself and other chefs around the country as the Birmingham's sort of a really good place to be now? Yeah, I think Birmingham's a good place to eat, and um, you know, there's a lot of like new restaurants about, isn't there? But um, you know, I still don't think there's that unique place where you know 
like I'm actually like you know with Birmingham I think you know you've got the fine dining restaurants and then you've got the chain restaurants there's nothing in between it that's good yeah yeah so there's yeah yeah but like there's not a lot for a city that's you know London's the only biggest city you know if you go to Leeds there's all these little places or if you go to York or Bristol anywhere you know, there's a lot of independent restaurants that, you know, I'm not bothered about putting, like, two things on a plate and a 12-course tasting menu. Like, I think that's why it's missing, the in-between stage of, like, you know, you've got your high-end restaurants, but if you don't want to go to a high-end restaurant, not because you can't afford it or anything like that, you know, you might just want a burger, but where are you going for a burger? Yeah. Where are you going for, exactly? A chain. I'm going to, Ma- yeah, but I'm going to McDonald's over that, mate. Because McDonald's is good, ain't it? But there's no, like... No middle ground, I think, yeah, which is which is yeah, yeah, which like is disappointing, I think. But I think that's the thing with like arrogant chefs. Like, this is what I want to change now. So, I just want a place where you know you can come in, and you can get chicken wings, but they're the best chicken wings in Birmingham, and they cost you like three quid. And you know, there's going to be a queue outside for the chicken wings because yeah, I think like we have to stop pretending that everyone's got loads of money. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's into food. Everyone's getting into food. And everyone keeps saying, oh, the food scene is, like, amazing now. But we destroy it as well. Because, you know, if you're not that in that bracket of, like, that you can afford to go and eat at Pinal's, Carter's, Adam's, but you're still into food, then wh- what do you do? Do you know what I mean? There's no one that's, like, in the middle. But there is, but the shit, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? There's no one that's actually, you know, working as hard as them restaurants and just doing normal food or you know even burgers and stuff like that like there's no middle ground no as i said i can only think of one restaurant in the whole of birmingham and that's one of our favorites little blackwood that are even close to something like that middle ground yeah yeah so if you were opening a restaurant your own one would you want it to be in birmingham yeah because i think that like i just said but i wouldn't i don't i'm not bothered about fine dining food anymore I'm bored of it. It's boring. Everyone, everyone does it. Everyone puts some like, pickled on, and then there's a vegetable, then there's a protein, and there's a powder. Like, it's so pretentious now. As in, like, you know, you have to do fine dining. No, you don't. You just you think that's what you should do because you know everyone wants this lifestyle about being like a top chef. Like everyone forgets that you know you got into food because you like cooking food and. If you're honest with yourself, as a chef, like, fine dining food isn't, you know, I've been to some, some of the best restaurants in the world. I'm not saying I don't like going to eat in these restaurants. I do, I love it. But I also like going to eat, I have a burger, a perfect burger and a perfect fries and a perfect mac and cheese. You know what I mean? I also like that. And chefs forget that. They just go from zero to 100 and forget that everyone forgets the middle bit of, like, and that's why... Like staff, like the best book to get is Brad Carter's staff book, because yeah, 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 it is, man, it is the best book like in the in the whole country right now, because there's a lot of chefs that can't even cook staff food. If somebody opened a restaurant just doing them staff meals, yeah, yeah, they'd exactly, be packed, yeah, they'd yeah, be exactly. That's food everybody wants to eat. But mate, honestly, there's so many chefs that can't cook staff food. It's unbelievable because they don't know how. Like you, you're right. You know, if you say let's say the man behind the curtain, you know, you can do the abalato twirls, you can do the white chocolate twirls because you've been taught that. But you can't cook a spaghetti bolognese because you've gone from working in like 
you know, somewhere where you do probably like frozen food and then you come here because, you know, there's not a lot of chefs anymore and you get taught how to do that. But then when someone says, make me a shepherd's pie, you ain't got a clue because I've never made a, sh- well, I have, but, you know, they're thinking I've never made a shepherd's pie. I've never cooked at home. I'm not even at home to cook. There's, that's what I mean by the middle ground in between. The day you open that kind of middle ground restaurant, does the day will come? Yeah, 100%. Need some money, mate. <laughs> we'll fully wrap this up now. Yeah, it's cool. Taking a lot of your time, but no, I'm all right, mate. A lot ranting. Massive you know thank I mean? you for coming on to the podcast. It means some, ma- it means loads to us, doesn't it? No, nah, thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate and, uh, it. Everyone, just keep an eye out because I don't. You don't need me to tell you how talented Cray is. So just thank keep you. an eye and follow him on Instagram. And it's Instagram probably the best. Yeah, Instagram, just I don't use Twitter because it's full of knobs. It is definitely full yeah, of knobs. Yeah, so um, <laughs> just Instagram, really. It's a yeah. di- Twitter's a bit addictive as well. I don't <laughs> like it, mate. It's just like, like, it's full of slagging people off, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I'm all about it. Can be. Yeah. <laughs> so follow him on Instagram, keep an eye out because you want to catch one of his pop ups or something he's doing brilliant because he will be doing brilliant things. I can Thank you. It. Thanks a lot, Craig. Cheers, mate. Thanks Cheers. for having me. Thank you.